Thank you, choir. A couple of weeks ago, we started a brand new series entitled Investing Wisely. And uh, the whole premise of that series, uh, it started on Easter Sunday, but it's really looking at the different types of investments that we make across the scope of our lives. And we can't cover every single one of them. This would be a very, very long series. Uh, it's only going to be about six weeks or so. Uh, but it's really just looking at the different ways that we make investments. And one of the things we've established from the very beginning, and I think I've made the comment, we're probably going to hear this every single Sunday, is what the nature of an investment is. And to invest means that we give up something today in the present that, that carries value, something that's valuable to us, something that's important to us. To invest, it means that we then uh, we give it up today so that we can ultimately get something back of greater value down the road in the future. And we invest in a lot of different ways. It's not just financially. Uh, we invest through our time. We invest in our, in our energy. We, you know, we invest our, in our efforts. We invest uh, in, in family. We invest, uh, the list goes on and on and on. And so in this series, what we've done is we've just started kind of beginning to look at the different types of investments that we're called to make so that we can decide, is this is, uh, you know, important enough to me to give up something today in order to get something of greater value down the road tomorrow? And so we started with Easter Sunday. We looked at what it means to invest in eternity. And uh, we looked against the message of the gospel and how God himself even demonstrated this, where he gave up something in the present. He gave his own son, Jesus Christ, who left heaven, who left the glories of heaven, worship and praise and adoration. He gave all that up and, and ultimately took on himself suffering and, and shame. And he took on the sin of the world. and He took on ridicule and mockery and all the things that he experienced in this world. He took all that on so that down the road, we could have an opportunity to have a relationship with him that will last forever. And so we looked at how God has invested in us, that we're a great value to him. But at the same time, we're called to choose to turn from our sin, to give our lives to Jesus today so that we can have a relationship with him forever. We can invest in eternity. So we looked at that Easter Sunday. And then last Sunday, we looked at the value of investing in family. And we talked about just kind of the basic takeaway that family is something that God has ordained, God has put together. And really, in a lot of ways, it's the laboratory where godly influencers are raised up in this world where your family is like a little laboratory, right? You're, you're, you're the scientist of your laboratory. And whenever you go home, whenever you operate within your family, whether you're a, a, a husband, a wife with kids, or whether you're single, you all, all of us come out of a family structure. And that, that family structure is one of the tools God uses to raise up influencers for the sake of the gospel. And so we looked at some of the things that threatened family last Sunday. We talked about the importance of family, some steps we can take. And if you weren't here for that message and want to hear what, it, what was shared there, then it's on our website. You can certainly do that. But uh, we looked at investing in family. And so today, the third message of the series, I want us to look at a message entitled, Investing Your Life in Your Church. Investing Your Life in your church. Now, if you've been here for a while, I've been here for quite a few years now, uh, you're probably familiar with the fact that I don't preach a lot of messages about church, about like sign up today or, you know, get on this list or, you know, join now. I just don't preach a whole lot of messages like that. And it's not because I'm against church. Obviously, that's def definitely not the case. But I, I, I just kind of see lives that come on every Sunday that have issues and difficulties that need to hear the gospel, that need to hear truth. And, and so it's often that I speak to the individual, in a sense, on a Sunday morning, not so much that I preach about the church. Well, today is one of those days where I'm going to preach about the church. And I'm also going to preach specifically about this church, because there is a place where God calls us to make an investment, where he calls us to invest wisely in our lives, to count our days, and to make sure that we're making the most of our time. 
time so that we know what God's will is. And a large part of God's will for us is that we not only know him in relationship with Christ, but that we also find our place in a local church and that we begin to use our lives as an investment there in that place. And so that's what we're going to look at specifically this morning. I started out in ministry in 1990. Um, Whenever I started, I started across town in a church that was here. Uh, I was not right out of college, but just about right out of college. And uh, November of 1990, I took my first position in ministry. The only other church that I've ever served on staff at was there. And, uh, and I came in part-time. I just wanted to find a place. I felt like God had called me to ministry, and I felt like, you know what, I don't even know which direction to look. And so God, just wherever you want to put me, that, that's, that's where I want to go, because I want to be a part of ministry. And so I landed in a little church across town and ended up being there for six years, but I started out working mainly with middle school and high school students. And so when I, when I was there, uh, it, it, was, it was interesting because I think back to those days, church looked so different back then. You know, back in, 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 at that time, 20, 25 years ago, uh, if, if you were raised as a Baptist and you were looking for a church, you went and found another Baptist church. If you were raised as a Methodist and you wanted to find another church, you found another Methodist church. If you were raised as a Presbyterian and you wanted to find a church, you looked for a Presbyterian church. Today, that is not the case. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think in a lot of ways it's a good thing. But it is not the case. The denominational tag doesn't mean today what it used to. Now, for some of you it may, and some of you may think I'm preaching heresy just by making that comment, but for, by, by and large, for most of the world, they could care less about denominations, what the world is looking for, those that are really seeking after God, those who have some compulsion you know, to understand who God is and they're, and they're, they're looking for, you know, for, for some direction on how to have a relationship with God, they don't care about what denominational tag the church may carry. They want to know what is true, do the people really believe it, and do they prove it through the lives they live. That's what people are looking for. They want something that is truth and something that is authentically true at the same time as well. No hypocrisy. Don't tell me you believe one thing and then you go out and do a whole different thing, right? The world should have an issue with that. But the church today is not so much about denominational tags as much as it is about just looking for what is true. And everybody has their own little idea of what church should be, especially church people, right? We all have this idea of what church should look like. For some people... If a church doesn't have a steeple, well, that's not a church. Now, don't tell me that's a church. doesn't even have a steeple. That's not a church. For some people, if a church doesn't have a pulpit, then it's not a church. For some people, I would be willing to say, if the pastor doesn't wear a suit and tie, then you can't call that going to church because that's just not the way. So church means he wears a suit and tie. Here's, here's what, a little, little personal testimony here. Um, for me, when I first started in ministry, uh, I would wear a suit and tie. When I first started here, I would wear a suit and tie. And I very quickly got tired of wearing a suit and tie. Uh, I never was enjoy, actually enjoyed wearing a suit and tie. It would kind of crack me up because people would see me, you know, like Walmart or whatever. It was on like a Monday afternoon. They'd say, hey, you're not in a suit and tie. It's like, what do you think I do? You think I sleep in a suit and tie? You know, it's like I don't live in a suit and tie. And so I finally just got, just got tired of it. You know, it's like, I hate wearing suit and ties anyway. And I, I don't even feel comfortable in it. And nobody else does it. We're on an island for crying out loud. Why am I wearing a suit and tie? No offense if you're wearing a suit and tie this morning. And so... And so I decided, you know, I, I quit. You know, I'm, just, I'm not going to wear a suit and tie anymore. And, uh, and so th- this is one of the most brilliant things I think I've ever done. Um, it was Father's Day. And I thought, you know what? This is the day. Because who's going to say something to me if I show up on Father's Day, right? I got kids. Who's going to slam me on Father's Day? And so I didn't wear a suit and tie. And I haven't worn one since, unless it's a wedding or a funeral. So, so that's my little suit and tie story. But for a lot of people, they would say, you know what? He's supposed to wear a suit and tie. It's not church if you're not dressed a certain way. 
It's not church if, if the building doesn't look a certain way. It's not church you know, if, if you don't have an organ you know, in place. It's not church if you don't have this, if you don't have that. And we all have our conceptions, right, of what church ought to look like and even of what church is. But here's the thing. When we begin to kind of package together what we think church should be, Oftentimes what happens is the list that we have compiled of what church is can't be found anywhere even close to the New Testament. And the New Testament has an awful lot to say about what church is, and I think in a lot of ways by implication it has a lot to say about what church is not at the same time as well. And so for us this morning I want us to look at what church is from God's perspective and how we make an investment there specifically. So before we do that let me just ask a simple question. Uh, And the simple question is this, why exactly are you here today? Why are you here today? What is it that compelled you? Because we're not giving away anything free, really. Well, we are giving a couple of things that are free, but um, what was it that compelled you this morning to say, you know what, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to go to church? Was it guilt? Was there something maybe from earlier this weekend or last week or maybe for the past month or two that just sort of compelled you to say, you know, I just need to be sure I go to church today because I'm feeling kind of guilty and I think God's a little mad at me. And if I go to church, man, that is really going to impress him. And if I'm down there and I'm sitting in my seat there and I stay awake for the whole entire service, right? And that guy, if I listen to him, and I stay awake the whole time, that will certainly score me points with God. And so, you know, I won't feel guilty anymore if I go. Was it guilt that brought you? Was it maybe habit? Because you were here last Sunday and the Sunday before, and, and the, you know, the Sunday's the month before that and the month before that. Is it just habit? And, and so you kind of know the routine like we all sort of learn. You know, you wake up, you do your daily routine, and you come you know, sort of flying in the back door, the front door, and you find your place, and hey, you're here, you made it. This is where I'm supposed to be. I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. Was it here maybe because, are you here because maybe somebody invited you? You know, most people that that live around you and live around me, they would be willing to come if they only had an invitation. A place like this is maybe a little bit scary to think about coming in and finding your way. Sometimes we'll have folks from outside of this ministry. They'll come and they'll see the facilities or they'll come for a meeting or something. And, uh, you know, I'll be walking through with them and they get very easily, very quickly turned around. And we know our way around here, right, because we come all the time. And we know sort of what the routine is. We know what we're supposed to do, but there are a lot of people who won't come because they don't know really what they're supposed to do, what's expected. But if you invited them, and if you said, hey, man, I'll, I'll sit with you, I'll meet you out in the lobby, and I'll sit with you, and uh, you're not going to get scared off, I promise, uh, and, and everything's going to be okay, but I'll, I'll come with you. Most people would come if they were just simply invited. Some of you are here because somebody invited you, right? They invited you this week or last week or a month ago or, or, or 10 years ago, and, and you're still here. So why are you here exactly? Are you here for a reason less than what Scripture speaks of? Or are you here because you understand at the very heart exactly what church is? Let me give you a little definition of what I, what I think, based on Scripture, what I think church is. And then I'm going to share some misconceptions, and we'll walk through some passages of Scripture as we do that. Here's what I think church is. You can jot this down. I'll move slowly. It's a long definition. Church, at least to me, is a collection of redefined people. Okay? It's a collection of redefined people, people who used to be one way and now they're a different way. It's a collection of redefined people who have a common relationship with Jesus Christ, a common relationship. 
It's a collection of redefined people who have a common relationship with the person of Jesus Christ specifically and who are called to complete his mission. See, there is a big and there. Church is a, is a collection of redefined people, people whose lives are not the same as they used to be because we have a common relationship with Jesus Christ. We may come from a variety of backgrounds, public school, private school. I was raised rich. I was raised poor. Raised poor. I went to college. I didn't go to college. All these different backgrounds, right, that are here. And yet there's a common relationship with Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there because the real definition of church is that, is that we also and we understand that we are called to complete, by God's power, the mission that Christ started when he was on this earth. It's not just about coming and soaking up. It is also about going and helping to fulfill the mission that Christ implemented when he came, when he died, and when he ultimately rose from the dead as well. So let me just give you four misconceptions. We'll kind of walk through these. For some of them, we'll give you some passages to take a look at. Hopefully these will be a challenge for you. Hopefully they'll clarify exactly what church is. And then at the end, I'm going to hopefully help to uh, help you to be able to find your place here specifically, maybe before, maybe in a way that you never have specifically before. So let me give some misconceptions. For some, a misconception about church is that it's a place. Let me just give you a little challenge to that. Church is a people. It is not a place. Church is people. Church is not a place. History tells us that it was about the 3rd or 4th century before the church, the local church, ever had a building from which they operated. If you look in Scripture, you find in Scripture that, by and large, the church is spoken of as people, not as places. Let me give you an example here in the book of Acts, specifically chapter 11, verse 26. I won't take the time to go into the context. It's not important for what we're looking at right here this moment, but you can read it in context if you want later. Look at what it says here, chapter 11, verse 26. It says, for an entire year they met with what? The church. For an entire year, they met with a church. The picture there is that the church is a compilation of people. It is a collection of people, very specific people, that when they met together, they met with this group called the church. They met with the people there. Look at what it says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 2. It says, as Paul writes this letter to a specific church, he says, to the church. Now, he's not writing to the building on the corner of you know, Main and Elm Street. He's not writing it to a place. He's writing to a people, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So here's the picture of the church here that Paul has in mind. He has a picture of church as being at the local level, right? There is an, a, a local level of church. In this context, it was the church at the city of Corinth. There wasn't a first Baptist Corinth and then a second Baptist of Corinth because people got mad at the first Baptist and they split off and started their new one. It wasn't that. There wasn't like a second Methodist or first Presbyterian. It wasn't any of that kind of stuff. It was to the church, the collection of redefined people who have a common faith in the person of Jesus Christ, who are on mission, extending his mission in this world, in the city of Corinth, starting there. He said, so I write this letter to the people there. There's a local concept of church of which we are a part, first Baptist of the islands. But then there's also a bigger blown out version kind of the universal church around the world. He says that the last phrase, who, with, who, uh, with all who in every place scattered around this globe call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So here, here's my first challenge. If church to you is primarily a place, I want you to just sort of take that, package it up. It may be okay to call it a place just for simplicity, right, in conversation, you know, the church on the corner. But understand really, in theory, church is not a place. Church is a people. You, you are the church. 
you know, the, the old joke, you know, goes that the kid walked into the church one day and, um, you know, a gentleman met him at the back door because the boy had a, had a baseball cap on his head. And uh, he said, son, he, he, this is like one of the guys that also says, you're sitting in my seat, you know, get up, that's my seat. It's been in my seat for 48 years. You know, that, that, that guy said to the, to the little boy, he said, don't you know you're not supposed to wear your hat in God's house? The little boy looked up and said, sir, no disrespect, but this hat's on God's house. <laughs> I'll give you a few seconds. <laughs> I thought that was much better when I thought it through. Um, church is people. It's not a place. It's not bricks and mortar. It's not classrooms. It's not a lobby. It's not preschool space, student space. Church is people. People who have lives that are radically redefined. And yet they have at the heart the same story, that they became radically redefined when they met Jesus. And that church fulfills its call as a church when every one of those people, not just the ones that are paid to do it, not just the ones who hold certain positions, but when every single one of those people whose lives have been radically redefined answer that call that Jesus gives us to continue the mission that he had on this earth through this thing called the local church. Church is a people. It's not a place. There's a second misconception, I think, that is often found when you begin to talk about church, even within the context of church people. And that second misconception is that the church is an institution. Now, the church is individual. It's not so much institutional. The church is individual. It's, it's about people. It's not so much institutional. Here's what I mean by this, because it may be, may be a little bit hard to follow. There, there are times that I'll hear comments from someone every now and then that will, that will say, you know what, the church needs to do this, or the church needs to do that. You know, the church needs to begin this ministry. The church needs to start that ministry. And I understand that. I understand what's being said. But I think where the kind of the, the gap is, is that there's this misconception that somehow this institution with a mind of its own called the institutional church exists that just somehow mysteriously gets ministry done. And such a thing does not exist. What we have to understand is that when the church needs to reach out, when the church needs to speak up, when the church needs to get involved, that only happens when the people who are the church choose to step up, speak out, or get involved. There is no concept of institutional church that even exists. When you look at Paul's letters, when he would write to the church, whether it be at Ephesus, whether it be at Philippi, whether it be at Corinth, or whether it be at Colossa, or some other area, he is writing to a group of people. No one writes letters to buildings, and if you do, you need help, okay? You need help. You need help soon. <laughs> no one writes letters to buildings. You write letters to people, and Paul understood that if the gospel was going to be spread, if people's lives were going to be impacted, if the ministry was going to be accomplished, there would be no institutional church in existence that would get it done. It would be people who take their call seriously, whose lives have been radically changed, who answer that call of God, and they get in the trenches and they begin to follow the lead that God has given them. Let me show you a little bit of how Paul demonstrated this. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a very lengthy passage that I could have used. I'm sort of uh, just pulling out some of the key components to it, just a few verses. Look at chapter 12 here, verse 13 and verse 14. Paul is being very creative, and many of you are familiar with this, but he's being very creative in identifying what exactly the church is. He says in verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. There's that picture that we all have a common faith in Christ. 
By one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, you know, we all come from a variety of backgrounds. That's what makes it really, really interesting, really, really good. He says, and yet we were all made to drink of one spirit, right? We all are indwelt as followers of Jesus if we've given our lives to Christ. But we all have a common relationship with the Lord. The spirit lives within us. But he says in verse 14, he says, for the body is not one member, but many. And he's beginning now to use the concept and the example of the human body. He says, there is one body, but there are many parts. There is one church, yes, but that body, that church is compiled and it's only existent because of the individual members that make it. It is not an institution. It is individual in character. It is individual in nature. He goes on verse 15. He says, for example, speaking of the human body, he says, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Now, that is a great picture. We would really appreciate this more if we were all like, you know, kindergarten through second grade right now. Yeah, we're all adults, but, but this is a great picture. This is a great image here. Because Paul says it would be ludicrous for a foot to say to the hand, man, I'm jealous of you. you, I'm always getting walked on. (laughs) That uh, that came out in the first service. And um, he said, I'm I'm just a foot. You're always getting to hold stuff that's valuable. And you you hold a microphone and you get to do this and you get to do that. You you get to do all the good stuff, hand. I'm just a foot. Uh, Paul says that would be crazy. I mean, you take your foot off, you are severely limited in what you're able to do, to, to do. The foot is extremely valuable. It's not about, you know, well, you get to do that part. I've only got this part. He said, there's none of that. He said, that has nothing to do with it. In the same way it's meaningless in the human body, every part is crucial. Every single part is key. They may be different, but they're still equally important. He says, that's the way it is in the body of Christ. Verse 16, he says, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Next slide. Continuing, verse 17, he says, if the whole body were an eye... Where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, every one of them, each of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. See, the church is not institutional. It's not this nebulous institution that exists out there to get things done. It is individual in nature. And let me say that if a church is weak, If a church is ineffective, if a church is unhealthy, by and large, it's not because of one person. It is because the people that make that church what it is are unhealthy or ineffective or disengaged themselves. And on the same token, if a church is extremely effective and answering the call of God and seeing ministry just blowing the doors off, it is not because of one person who gets any credit. It is largely because that church is comprised of people who understand their call clearly and they are engaged, they are reaching people, they are continuing the mission which Christ came to implement and they're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit and God is blessing that. It's individual in nature. If your idea of church is that it's just a place I go, man, I really challenge you to consider it's not a place, it's a people. And if your idea of church is that it's just this institution that exists out there and it gets stuff done, they don't really, I don't really have a place there. The church just does it. The church gives to the needy. The church serves families. The church goes on mission trips. The church just does all that. You won't find that in the Bible. The church is not institutional. It is individual. Every follower of Jesus has a part ultimately to fill. Let me give you a third misconception. Third misconception is that church is an event. I go to this event called church. 
Church is not an event. Church is a movement. Now, I know, again, and I'm as guilty as anybody, we use that terminology, we use that verbiage, right, that I went to, a, to, to this event, right, that I call church. You know, I was in church yesterday. I understand that. But, again, we have to move past the concept that church is just an event that we attend. No, church is a movement that we choose whether or not to be a part of. You look in the book of Acts, for example. Book of Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching at Pentecost. 3,000 people come to Christ. The church is birthed. Every significant theologian, whether they've gone to school for it or not, would agree that Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when Peter preached and 3,000 people placed their faith in Jesus, all would agree that is when the church was born into existence. The church was not born into existence because somebody said, hey, I got some bricks and mortar, let's build a building real quick. No, the church was birthed into existence because 3,000 people placed their faith in Jesus and suddenly, boom, you have a church that is is in existence. When you move out of Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 4, you find that persecution breaks loose because the enemy does not like the concept of this thing called church. In Acts chapter 8, as a result of persecution, the church, not the buildings, the people, the church is scattered throughout that region of the world. And for the rest of the book of Acts, from chapter 8 onward, all the way through the end, what you find is that the church is expanding and multiplying and growing and changing history as a result. It is a movement. And if we see church primarily, ultimately, as an event that I go to church, and I missed this event called church last week, and I missed this event called church the week before, so I need to be sure in the next week or two that I go to this event called church. If that's our mindset, we need to, again, package that, kick it to the curb. Church is not an event that we choose whether to attend. Church is a movement that we decide whether or not to be a part of, just as many believers before us were a part of it, just as many believers across the globe have given their lives for this thing called the church. For 21 different seasons, we've sent teams to the Philippines, and they have taken part in a movement there called the church. And those teams oftentimes will travel to a brand new region and they will hand out shoeboxes and they will share the gospel and pockets of people will choose to follow Jesus for the very first time in their lives. And within a year, we'll hear stories from Barry and from others on the field that where those people first trusted Christ, next is a Bible study there and then there is a church. And it has nothing to do with buildings. It has everything to do with people, individuals, and movements of God. In less than two weeks, 10 of us will leave this place and we'll travel to Havana, Cuba. And we will work with a little church called Jellibert Baptist Church, 45 minutes from Havana, where there is a work of God taking place across that entire country, a communist country, and yet where God is at work. And it's not because of their great buildings. And it's not because they have air conditioning. And it's not because they have a fancy structure where they figured out how to make the institution run well. And it's not because they have a, 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 a fancy sound system and, and all the bells. And, it's not because of that at all. It's because the people there understand that when they gave their lives to Christ, their lives were radically redefined. And that they suddenly became a part of a movement. And they have chosen, rather than to say, you know what, I'm just going to step back. They have chosen to step in and to be a part of that movement. And the country, its very nature is being changed as a result of it. Church is not a, an event we attend. It's a movement that we engage in. 
In our church, we have four words that we try to summarize all of our mission, know, grow, show, and go. Leading people to know Christ, leading people to grow in that relationship, to go deep, not to hang out on the surface for the rest of their Christian life, but to grow deep in relationship with God. Leading people to show Christ, to serve inside the walls, outside the walls in their neighborhoods, communities, workplaces, campuses. And then to go with the gospel. And for those of us who understand what the concept of church is, at least to a small degree, I don't claim to have every nuance figured out, I think for those who understand what church is, we find that it's a ministry like this that enables us to be able to become the people that God's created us to be. And it's as we do that together, collectively, side by side, life on life. Church is not an event. Church is a movement. Last misconception. Church is designed to equip you and me to serve It is not here merely to serve you. Let me be very careful about this one because there is a component to church, right? As we understand it in Scripture, where the church, the collection of people, do serve one another. You find that all through the New Testament. Love one another, encourage one another, admonish one another. You find that all through Scripture. So there is that component. Here's where the danger is, is that for some of us, if we're not careful, we'll begin to look at church as our waiter, that is merely in place to serve us. And we never understand that it really is designed to equip us to ultimately begin to serve others and the world. In God, obviously. Sometimes you hear comments of frustration or discord at times of why the church is not measuring up in people's opinions. I didn't like the music. That message didn't inspire me enough. It was too hot. It was too cold. It was too loud. It was too quiet. And if we're not careful, we come to a place where our mentality is, I came and you didn't serve me the way that I felt the church should. And you're going to hear about it. That is not the picture of what Christ died for to create. A church's role, whether this one or whether one in another country or wherever it may be, if it's a church founded on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that church, by its design, and we do not have any right to redefine it, is in place to equip us to continue the mission of God in this world, to equip us to find our place and our part in extending the message of the gospel and seeing God do work in the lives of people. Its primary existence is not to serve my every desire. You know, whenever you look across the scope of history, you find that many, many people have given their lives in the context of the body of Christ. And they didn't give their lives because they didn't get their needs met. They gave their lives because they were such a significant part of the mission for which Christ died that the enemy did away with them. And they got their reward in eternity. Church is here to equip us to serve. It's not merely here to serve our individual desires. So I want to challenge you today. I've laid out four misconceptions as it relates to investing wisely, four misconceptions of the church. And I want to challenge you today in regards to a next step. Here's my challenge. Let me just kind of lay out a picture of sometimes what I've heard through the years. At times you'll hear people, and I've been guilty of it myself, I'm not slamming anybody, but Sometimes you'll hear the comment when people speak of their local church, they will speak in terms of they rather than we. 
And I've gotten to where sometimes I'll joke around every now and then because I understand it. To where somebody will say, you know, I, I think, and they're part of this ministry, they'll say, well, I think they, they should do this or they should do that. And I'll just pause and I'll say, you mean they or we? <laughs> and sometimes it's just the wrong word that was chosen. But sometimes, many times, I think there are those that are part of a local church who are still saying they because they've never taken a step to become a part of the the we. I want to ask a hard question, and it's not designed to put you on the spot. I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise hands. I'm not trying to make you squirm and get uncomfortable, but I think there is a place at times for hard questions in my life and in all of our lives, and the hard question today is this, that if you've been here for, I don't know how long, six months, eight months, a year, and you've, you've been here, and in a sense, if someone asked you, yeah, where's your church, you would say it's here. But you still talk about all of this as they and not we? Why exactly is that? If you've been here for any significant amount of time, and First Baptist Church of the Islands is still they to you and not we to you, I think that's a question worth grappling with. And I think to a large degree, it has a lot to do with what the understanding of church even is. And so, so, so here's, my, here's my, my big question, my, kind of the ask for the day. I want to ask you that if church for you here is still they and not we, and you've been here, let's just say six months or longer, I want to ask you this morning in your heart to take a step towards we. And I don't know what that looks like for you specifically. I, I don't know if that means making a decision to follow Jesus for the very first time, be a part of the family of God. And if you're part of a relationship with God through a relationship with Christ and you've turned from sin and chosen to follow Jesus with all your heart and trust His work on the cross as your forgiveness, if, you've, if you take that step, it'll be very easy to be a part of the we because you're now part of that collection of redefined people with a common relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But maybe you've already made that decision, you've been coming for a while, and it's still kind of they to you. Maybe a step towards we for you means to be baptized. You've given your life to Christ, but you've never taken that all-important step that Scripture speaks of to identify boldly and publicly with God, to say, you know what, I'm proud to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never been baptized. You've already been saved, right? You've already given your lives to Christ. But you've never said, you know what? I'm ready to stand and to proclaim boldly through my baptism that I'm a follower of Jesus and that this is the church that I choose to invest my life in to help me to grow and to be who God wants me to be. Maybe for you, the next step, maybe the the step moving from they to we is to be baptized. Maybe the step for you uh, is to join a, a small group, right? To join a small group. I think for us, in a lot of ways, it, a grow group is a word that we can use, a term that we can use, because it fits what our aim is to help people to grow in their relationships with God. We've called it Sunday school for years. If Sunday school works for you, call it Sunday school. It doesn't matter really what we call it, ultimately, as long as we're involved there. And what happens is, whenever we're not in a small group Bible study, doing life with other people, what happens is, we tend to gravitate towards the fringes. And if your involvement with with this church or any church is just simply sitting on a seat, even weekly, and all you do really is just stand and sing and then listen to me talk to you, and there's really no, you know, cross-the-table interaction at all, it's going to be they for a long time, I'll just go ahead and say. And oftentimes, getting in a small group, getting involved in Bible study with another person where you can share your frustrations and share your weaknesses, and they share theirs, and you share what God's doing in your life, and you strengthen one another and sharpen one another, I mean, that, that moves you from they to we really, really quickly. Maybe for you, it's to jump into one of those kind of groups. Or maybe it's to join a ministry team. 
You know, we've, we've got folks scattered all over this property who are part of ministry that are engaged in ministry many that most will never even know about. These words don't jump on the screen, right? There is someone specifically who puts all this together. There are people, three, typically on any given Sunday, working up in the sound booth that are doing media and doing sound and doing lights. That doesn't happen by accident. Someone has to orchestrate all that. We've got people in the preschool ministry now that are caring for preschoolers and glad to do it because they see that it's their investment where they're giving up something today for benefit down the road. They're seeing people's lives impacted because they're serving. We've got people in student ministry, preschool ministry, uh, adult ministry, children's ministry. The list goes on and on and on and on. You've got people running around with earphones in their ears. You've got people opening doors, people that are serving food all that stuff happens. Most of that's just on Sunday. I haven't even touched base on what people do on Mondays and what they do oftentimes on Tuesdays and on Wednesday evenings and what happens on Thursday nights. There's a place for everybody who has a relationship with God through Jesus, who has a desire to complete and continue his mission in this world of leading others to Christ. And if it's still for you, they. Man, I just really encourage you. I even ask you. Consider what can I do as soon as possible to move from they to we. With heads bowed and heads bowed and eyes closed. God, as we look at the whole concept of church, we understand in this world that there are a lot of misconceptions about exactly what it is. Lord, we don't want to be one of those people. We want to understand your heart behind this called church so that we can find our place and be a part of your work in history. That what was started in Acts 2, persecuted in Acts 4, scattered in Acts 8, and what has multiplied ever since, that we'll be able to say as a privilege that I'm a part of that. That I don't sit back and wait for something called the institutional church to serve my every need and to jump at my every beck and call. But Lord, that I find my place where I can invest, give up something even today so that another can benefit and that we can see fruit come down the road. And that as I begin to serve, not my church, but my Lord through my church, that we can honestly say that we found our place and that you're using our lives to make a difference. And so God, whatever that next step is, may we be willing to take it. And for those who don't know Christ today, I pray for them most of all, that it's not about finding a place in a church, but that they make the decision, the all-important decision, to turn from their sin that has separated them from you, O God, and that they find forgiveness as they yield their lives to Jesus. And so, God, bless the choices we make, even this morning. May you be pleased and may you be honored by our steps of obedience, even today, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.